I'm Joel Volk, and welcome to Small BizCast, where twice a month I explore the lives of small business owners to dig a bit deeper and expose strengths, weaknesses, ideas, and challenges with blemishes and all. This preseason episode is going to be invaluable for all employers as we delve into the new laws governing employers for 2021. I'm doing this with seasoned employment law specialist David DeCastro of DeCastro and Morrow in Woodland Hills. At the end, I'll spend a few minutes highlighting our guest in season two and introduce you to our new sponsors. Hang on tight, business owners. 2021 is going to be a wild ride, and we're in this together. Hot dog, it's a wonderful life. Small BizCast is proud to support Fit for the Cause. Fit for the Cause is the leading organization in fitness for low-income and special needs communities. Founded in response to the national health crises, Fit for the Cause has used licensed and COVID-conscious trainers to keep their members active, even during the pandemic. Offering physical training, nutrition, and a variety of classes, members benefit from the same resources given to Special Olympic athletes. So stay active now by going to www.fitforthecause.org. That's fit, the numeral four, thecause.org. You may remember Janice Miller of the Miller Haga Law Group from our episode, Saving Nigel in season one. Miller Haga supports businesses of all sizes, from large to small. No matter what phase you're in, from startup to wind down, the Miller Haga Law Group acts as your innovative general counsel. Their experienced team of lawyers will help keep the gears of your business turning. So if you want to minimize your liability while maximizing your profits with competent and efficient counsel, contact MillerHaga.com for more information. That's MillerHaga, H-A-G-A.com. Document technology continues to be a challenge for businesses as they go back and forth from working remotely to working in-house. One of the challenges facing management is that documents need to be shared. They also need to be secured. There's privacy issues, there's access issues. Those are the types of things that keep people up at night. Mercury Document Imaging has been solving problems like these since 1982. We are in the unique position to leverage our years of experience with our tremendous resources to solve this and other similar problems. We do it economically, more importantly, we do it efficiently. So if you have issues that you'd like us to help with, please call 818-782-1221 or go to mercurydoc.com, M-E-R-C-U-R-Y-D-O-C.com. As an employer, one of the things that freaks me out every single year is wondering what I need to know now that I didn't know before the end of the year. I decided to bring on a good friend of mine, the surfing, cycling, singing, woodcrafting, happy, wise, sharp, all around nice guy, David DeCastro of DeCastro and Morrow in Woodland Hills. He's an employment lawyer. And uh, David, welcome to the Small BizCast. And I'm hoping you can help me and our listeners understand uh, what 2021 means for the employer. I'm going to ask you a few questions about how COVID has affected the employment laws and what we need to know. And uh, anything else you'd like to talk about that's relevant? I know there's probably you know dozens and dozens of laws. Some are more disruptive than others. And uh, so I just, I'll, I'll let you take it from here. So I'm going to start with just a real quick one. For me, it's the big question is COVID. Do employers have to let their employees know that another employee has had COVID? Well, first, Joel, let me just say thank you for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here and happy to help in any way. Just like you said, every year legislation comes out that is massive, and somehow California really likes to pass new laws affecting employers. There's a lot of new laws, and COVID is at the forefront for sure. That's on everybody's mind. To answer your question, the answer is absolutely yes. You know, there were issues about privacy and 
and safety and all that, they kind of converge. But the bottom line is, if somebody in your organization tests positive for COVID, you have a legal obligation to notify the other individuals at the work site who may have been exposed to that individual and let them know. There's actual laws about the specific notifications. It has to be in writing. It has to have specific information in it. The whole idea is to ensure that those people who are exposed, they go off and get tested and they go and isolate and make sure that they don't also spread the virus. So is it uh, specific to COVID or does this law cover anything else that may be contagious in nature? No, this, these laws are specifically for COVID and they are brand new. They probably started out with the governor just making proclamations and then the legislature stepped up and said, okay, we're going to actually pass a law. That's how these came into place. So they are really unique because sharing medical information or possible issues involving another employee, there's a lot of privacy issues that, right. that, that arise from that. So this situation is super different. That's why the legislature came up with the laws regarding COVID. How about physical plant? Do we have to leave a specific amount of space per employee or is there any kind of physical distancing we have to create or barriers? Are there, are there mandated laws or is it just come down to common sense? No, there are laws. Uh, every employer is supposed to establish specific protocols about how to protect their employees, what they're going to do. Are they going to space the desks a certain distance apart? Do they require masks, which may depend depending on how close the employees are or whether the employees are interacting with the public? What kind of disinfection that they implement? What kind of cleaning regimens they implement? So every employer has to have a specific written plan of what they're going to do to ensure that their workplace is safe, as safe as it can be. And we're talking primarily California, but is that Cal OSHA? Well, Cal OSHA has its own set of rules. And yeah, it, it is OSHA and it's also state laws. Local county laws also apply. Go on to the LA County website, go on to the state of California website. And there are specific rules affecting your industry. And so you can search for your industry. If you're an agriculture or manufacturing or office space or a religious organization, there are specific rules that you need to uh, abide by. And they are all spelled out. And they're significant. I'm not sure about enforcement right now. You know, what the state is doing. Are they mm -hmm. fining people? I think it hasn't gone that far. But really every employer should try to do their best to comply with these because it's about protecting your employees. That's an employer's number one responsibility, creating right. a safe work environment. So that's what that's what's needed to be done. So um, I assume that's not just, not just California. You mentioned California, but of course we have listeners everywhere. And so basically every municipality is creating their own set of guidelines that the employer should become familiar with regarding their own industry that they're in. Exactly. Right. Obviously, I practice in California, so I know about California, but absolutely. And I'm, I'm sure it varies by state, but state is going to have their own rules and every county has rules and every employer should just pay attention to those and do their best to comply. 
Have our uh, family leave days been amended because of COVID as well? And has paid sick leave or any of those laws been affected by COVID? Absolutely. There was a federal law, the Families First Act, FFCRA, Family First Corona Response Act. And the FFCRA, before December 31st, 2020, required employers to give their employees who may be suffering from COVID or might be in the process of being diagnosed with COVID, give those employees up to 80 hours of paid sick leave. And there were also rules for employees who had difficulty coming into work because, for example, school closures. So they had to stay home to take care of their kids. And you were required to give those employees paid sick leave. The amount that you would give them varied, paid nonetheless. Right. So if you're taking child, you only get two thirds of your wages. But if you're out taking care of someone who is sick, or you yourself are sick, you get full wages for 80, up to 80 hours, that's two weeks. And is that any size employer? Or is that just? Yeah, that's any size employer. Yeah, that was any size employer. Yeah, that's why a lot of companies, what they decided to do was lay everybody off. Right. So they wouldn't have any employees. If somebody happened to have COVID, um, instead of sending everybody home or closing the plant and having to pay everybody, they would put them on unemployment. They would furlough mm-hmm. them or lay them off and let them have access to unemployment. Now, so, but I it... want to make a really important point. Sure. Which is that law change. FFCRA oh. changed on January 1st. It, it actually expired on December 31st, 2020. And now employers are not obligated to give the 80 hours. They have the option of giving their employees up to 80 hours. The FFCRA expired in December, December 31st, 2000, 2020. The FFCRA expired December 31st, 2020. And as of January 1st, 2021, employers are no longer required to give the 80 hours of paid sick leave. They can do it at their discretion. And if they opt to give that amount of sick leave, they will get a tax credit. So the government is now giving employers a little bit more flexibility about what they want to do. So a tax credit is basically reimbursement of the money. It's not a tax write-off. It's a tax credit. So it's a a one-to-one ratio. So it's not a, not a net loss for the, yeah, they get a tax. Yeah. Right. Right. Tell me about uh, work from home. Does the employer have to give the employee the option of working from home if they can get the job done? Or is that courtesy that's optional? Well, it kind of depends on the kind of business and what kind of stay-at-home order we're under. Employers should encourage employees to work from home if they can get their job done from home. They just can't do that. They don't have the luxury of doing that. Restaurants, manufacturing, you can't work from home. Yeah. But if it's a service industry, and there's a way to set it up. Absolutely. Are the employers exempt from any kind of liability if they contracts COVID at the workplace? Well, there's a presumption right now in in California, anyway, there's a presumption that if you get COVID-19, that you got it at the workplace, meaning it turns into a workers' compensation issue. Right. And the employer is required to provide the individual workers' compensation benefits. Gotcha. Um, you know, in, in, in California, employees cannot sue their employer 
for something that happens to them if they get hurt or they get ill or the, the method of doing that is through workers comp. Right. One of the rules in our manual was you're not allowed to get hurt. <laughs> it's because we didn't want people to take chances. I, I saw employees that were conscientious doing things that were unsafe. And I would let them know that I appreciate them trying to save the value of a copier that might be falling, but let it fall. It's okay. I've got insurance. I don't want you to hurt yourself. That, and I have met, I had, I could think of many instances where human nature to be a nice person and to save, you know, a disaster from happening, put somebody in danger that I was able to see happening and stop. And because I didn't, you know, ultimately you didn't want to lose the money of what happened when the copier failed, but or broke, but you definitely didn't want to see somebody get hurt as a result. And I know of lots of horror stories of people in my industry. So I would have that conversation a lot. And the way that worked out, paid out for us is we had a very low experience module, which meant the factors that determine the workers' comp rates were very low. And so that helped us become more profitable because we weren't spending money on workers' comp insurance that some of my competitors who were less safety conscious might've been spending. So now we have this reality where we can't control it. If somebody gets workers' comp at work and it's, or gets workers' comp and it's the assumption that it's a work comp issue, the experience modules are gonna go up no matter how conscientious you are about safety. And that's gonna affect, uh, that's gonna affect yeah. small business negatively without question. We don't know the extent of it, but I can't imagine workers' comp insurance companies not wanting to raise rates if right. they have a bunch of claims and they're going to want to recoup those costs in some way by raising rates. So it's to be seen. I don't know how it's going to play out, but I, I, I'm with you. I think that is going to hurt employers in the long run. Mm -hmm. I think in the short run, what happened was they decided, hey, there's an insurance policy that's already in place that could be valid that could be available sure. to the employees why not make it available to the employees so that's great in the short run but in the long run you're right it's going to probably raise rates yeah this will be interesting to see how it turns out over the next several years last year the employer's world was rocked by rules governing whether an employee is an employee or whether they're an independent contractor that was known as ab5 and i'm curious um if AB5 uh, has been tested in the courts and are there any new exclusions and is it being enforced? What can you tell us about 2021 and AB5? All right, so yeah, AB5 was very challenging for employers because it basically made it nearly impossible to classify someone as an independent contractor. And I think the idea of it from the legislature perspective was they want more protections for individual workers, so classify them as employees because it gives them more protections. Uh, it also ensures California uh, a, a larger tax base mm -hmm. because they know that the individual is going to be taxed on wages when they may not know under you know, some classified as an independent contractor. So AB5 has been, uh, has definitely rocked employers. Um, what has changed in that law is that it's just, they've added a variety of more exemptions. They realize that it doesn't work for a lot of workers, like a freelance artist or a musician or a, 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 an individual who is re a referee at a sports event right. or something small like that. They can't, not everybody can be an employee. And so, so we're starting to call this law the Swiss cheese law because there's <laughs> so many exemptions 
that it's just got all these holes in it. And, but it hasn't been tested. We're not really sure what's gonna happen. It seems like it's here to stay, but the legislature keeps tweaking it to make it work. What they've done is they've created a bunch of exemptions. So uh, like business to business exemptions, small right. proprietor versus just working with another small proprietor. Those two guys don't have to, one doesn't have to call the other one an employee. You can work, you can work something out oh, to can. make sure that they can stay as an independent contractor, so, independent. So if I'm a, if I run a small painting contractor business and a big company wants to hire me, I'm no, I can be a contractor to the other, like I, I can be a subcontractor now. It depends. <laughs> it depends on a lot of factors. Right. It depends on, it depends on what kind of control the big company has over the little guy. Oh, who, what materials are being used, what right. is being used. So there are still those kinds of tests that come into play. And that's how, but be, prior to AB5, that's really how it was. If I, I could hire somebody as long as, as they had independence as to who did the actual work or what hours the work got done or if they provided the material, those were, that's the way it was, was prior to AB5. That's back to the decision-making process now. So how does an employer know Okay. Besides, is there a resource to find out? If you are not with one of the exemptions and you have to follow the ABC test, then you follow that test. If you are with one of the exemptions, like a fine artist or a, a business to business, you then go back to the old test and you still have to fit within that old test that you were talking about. I see. So it's not AB5, AB5 ABC test or nothing. Right. You still have to revert back to the old test. That's so interesting. And resources, yeah, call your lawyer and that's probably the, your best resource is, and is talk to your lawyer before you make any move in terms of class. And, and are there... Uh, are there people that are enforcing this? In other words, if I, you know, call you a contractor, is there some policing body that is, you know, checking to see if you're indeed the contractor? Is the test being tested or does it? Yeah, look, um, calling someone an independent contractor or misclassifying them as an independent contractor will could potentially subject you to a worker's comp claim. And that can be very, very dangerous and expensive. Right. Um, but the way that it's being enforced is through an individual action. So the individual will make, will file a lawsuit against the employer saying, you should have classified me as an employee. And now you owe me all of these benefits. You owe me all of these wages. And that also can be expensive. Can I just have an agreement with, with my independent contractor saying that in the beginning of our engagement, we both agree that you're an independent contractor. We both sign that. Does that put it to bed or would that not put it to bed? It would not put it to bed. The existence of a contract is virtually meaningless. You know, we always say, oh, you can make a contract about anything. Right. But if it's an illegal contract, then the contract is void. Let me make another point about the enforcement, about individuals filing claims. California courts just issued a ruling that AB5 is retroactive so that anything that happened even in 2019, if you were misclassified, they would still have to use the, the new ABC test and individual.
individuals can sue from what happened in 19 using the new test. I love that. A moving target for your business. Isn't that great? It's, it's, that's just unfair. That's right. I think that's just unfair. So, uh, well, what's, what's, what's interesting is about the Uber thing because Uber got exempted out. Uber and Lyft, they're not, no longer part of AB5. Right. But with the retroactivity, they could still get sued for what happened before Prop 22 passed. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Who, who capitalizes on that? 2020 may have also been known as the year that diversity, equity, inclusion became a conscious term among business. Are there business laws, employment laws regarding the DEI? There is. There is a new law that applies to employers with 100 or more employees. So it's not everybody. But if you have 100 or more employees, California is now requiring that you report the wages, how much, basically how much you're paying and a breakdown based on race, gender, ethnicity. So California is really trying to even the playing field and make sure that every uh, race, ethnicity, gender are being paid equally and that there's no pay discrepancies between the sexes, between different races, between different ethnicities. So they want to see what you're doing. They want right. to see, are you paying the, you know, the, you know, everybody similarly. Now you don't have to pay everyone similarly just because they're the same race. Right. A business can obviously pay somebody differently based on legitimate reasons, yeah. experience, education, you know, um, all, all of those legitimate reasons. Do you think this is going to lead to minimum wage on a tiered level? You know, we have a minimum wage at a, as a floor, but we don't have any kind of ceilings or stopping points along the way. And what you're saying is that that employers can and should make uh, decisions based on an employer's tenure, their experience level, their you know productivity. I guess too, right? If somebody's uh, if somebody can get a thousand widgets built in the same time someone can get fifty widgets built, the person getting a thousand should be more. But some of those are subjective. Some of those are not objective decisions, and so. Might this lead to lawsuits which are going to create minimum wage policies that go beyond? So if, if someone's at my place of business for 10 years and they're full-time, they, their minimum wage is now a different level than, you know, I'm getting at. So there are, are become marking points or places yeah. that can be uh, fixed and take away some of that discretion from employees. Boy, that's a very interesting concept. And the minimum wage is, is and the rising minimum wage is a challenge for a employers, especially small employers. And imagine if you have somebody who is a manager and they're getting $5 above minimum wage. And now all of a sudden your the minimum wage has gone up. You not, not only have to bump up the, the entry level people, but what are you going to do about your manager? Right. Because your manager who's been there, like you said, for a period of time, you're not showing him the love, right? That that you did before, where it, where they were a tier above the right. entry level workers. So you have to bump up the entry level people, and then you got to bump up the managers as well, just to make sure that they're that they're happy. So minimum wage definitely has a ripple effect. 
yeah. uh, at the works at the workplace. Um, but I don't know. That's an interesting question whether they're going to have tiers where you know based on the number of years or tenure or anything taking that away from the employer. I, I doubt it. I, I don't think that's going to happen. But you never you never know. Yeah, you know the, the the law of unintended consequences is so apparent when it comes to employment laws. I think uh, you know minimum wage lot right higher minimum wage often leads to um, greater reliance on technology and the the focus on hiring fewer people to do the same job. Um, some would argue that technology does that anyway, so uh, it it doesn't you know doesn't matter whether minimum wage is part of it. Technology is still going to be the driving force towards efficiency and profits. Uh, but we've seen that reaction among people in business forever that every time you talk about raising the minimum wage they they'll show you re people that are not being hired because of the new minimum wage rules and and your the question is you know is that the is that the effect so i assume you see these unintended consequences manifest themselves all the time in what you do yeah absolutely i mean i think that they're they're well-intentioned the laws you know are always well-intentioned sure um, but really sure what's going to happen once the law is passed. I mean, AB5 is a perfect example where you have, you know, all of these you know, very well intentioned to eliminate independent contractor, but then all of a sudden you realize that it's really affecting a large segment of your workforce who now no longer can get, can get work right. or can, can supplement their income with a side job or something. But, you know, as for minimum wage, I mean, you know, there's there's two sides to that. Yeah, it may affect employers, but you also have to look at what's happening with inflation and the cost of living and how it's, you know, that has gone up dramatically, whereas minimum wage hasn't kept up with it. So it, those are hard decisions. Any other laws of note that we should be aware of that are have, have, um, have come into effect for January? I will... I'll tell you that, that I think one of the biggest changes is the um, California Family Rights Act. The California Family Rights Act in historically allowed an employee who was sick or caring for somebody who was sick to take leave and their job would be protected. So you couldn't fire them during the period of their leave for, you know, almost since its inception, since its inception, it was, it applied to employers with 50 employees okay. or more, it, right. medium to larger employers. Just this year, 2021, it changed. So now it applies to employers with five or more oh, employees. That is going to so, be so devastating. So you have five employees and one of them, a key employee, needs to leave to take care of their sick mom. And you're gonna to need to give them 12 weeks of leave. So that's, what is that, three months? It's only three months. <laughs> and, when they, and when they come back, right. when the leave is over, you have to put them back in the same exact position that they had before. So what do you do during those three months? You know, if you're a large organization, you could fill in the holes. Sure. But a small organization is probably going to have to hire somebody temporarily or, or get a temp someone, which, you know, temp, temp jobs or temp agencies charge quite a lot. Could sure. be 
expensive. Are there notice restrictions involved? In other words, if I'm going to take my three months off, do I have to give you, you know, 10 days notice or can I call you today and say, sorry, I won't be see you in three months? Yeah. You know, God forbid something happens like the mother gets in a car accident. And all right. Of a sudden, right. You take off. So yeah, no, there's, there's no, there's no notice requirements. So you there don't we- even have time to hire and train somebody. Mm-hmm. You have to uh, just do without for three months or pay. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's a big one. And yeah. uh, what was the, well, what was the well-intended part of that one? <laughs> you were saying a minute ago, these are well-intended. What? Well, f- well, look, you're, you know, you're an employer, you've always right. been an employer and, you know, you're looking at it from the employee's perspective. That's the yeah. fit to the individual. So they can take care of themselves or they can take care of a family member and not fear that it's going to cause them to lose their job. Now I'll, and, I'll tell you the the part how it helps an employer. By the way, a small employer is sometimes sometimes small employers um, have to compete for good teams, good good people, and 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 one of the reasons that they fall <laughs> short is because that the the rules that protect the employees are usually the larger companies. So this actually gives a, a reason to go with a small business. Uh, so you might, in terms of getting talent, I'm just trying to find lemonades here from from the lemons because as a small business person that can be absolutely devastating but if it helps me compete for better talent i might be able it might pay off in other ways yeah i, I want to clarify something about that law you do have to be somewhat of a long-term employee to get that benefit you have to be there at least a at the company for at least a year and work about 1250 hours i see in order to during year if you work 1250 hours during that year then you've put in your time so to speak and that's when you'd be entitled to the benefits of the California Family Rights Act. 1250 hours is is part time I would think it's it's right so do I have to give somebody I can I only have to give them the same hours too I, I don't have to increase their hours if I don't need to so I could hire somebody as a as a part-time person and then bring this person back as another part-time person it yeah it's, it's about restoring them to their the same position, right. same wages that they had before. That's the protection that's in place. What else? What else do you have for 2021? Uh, minimum wage went up now in California is up to $14 for employees with 26 employees or more and 13 for anyone below 26. So like we talked about, that's, that's causing an impact, a sure. ripple effect up the chain. Uh, and it also affects whether you, you can call someone an exempt employee. You have to pay. You want to, if you want someone to be exempt from overtime or meal periods, they have to do certain activities and they also have to be paid at least twice minimum wage. So if minimum wage goes up, that twice minimum wage dollar amount goes up also. Their salary amount goes up also. So David, we're- So yeah, that-, that... Go ahead. Uh, no, I'm sorry. You were finished. Please finish your thought. Sorry about that. Um, no, that that's uh, and then every localities. Every locality has different. Many localities have different minimum wage rules. Right. Like Los Angeles City has their own minimum wage rules. So I always recommend people go on to the website, go on to the city website, county website, state website to make sure that you're paying your your people properly. You really don't want to get in a situation where you're underpaying somebody. It can be it can lead to a really nasty lawsuit and get very very expensive very quickly. 
Do you, do you typically represent employers or employees or both? And how do you want people to reach you if they have if they have questions or they want clarity or they want to hire you? Yeah, my practice is primarily representing companies and management and advising the companies and counseling the companies on how to follow all these rules and how to comply with all these rules. And the best way to reach me is either call me on the phone, 818-710-2700. You can email me, david at decastromoro.com. Uh, you can find me on the web if you do a Google search for David DeCastro attorney. Now, I will say, if you just do David DeCastro, you're going to find a lineman for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And you're that the, isn't me. Wait, wait. You're not the same guy? I'm not the same guy. The uh, the bulking up was just too much for me. <laughs> uh, David, we're going to have... Um... <laughs> We're going to have your contact information in the show notes. So anybody who didn't catch it and what you just said, they'll, they'll be awesome. able to catch you that way. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on. And before we uh, sign off, can I ask you a question about uh, on the rules of 2021? Which ones do you think are going to be, uh, which ones are going to have to be changed for 2022? Well, it'll be very interesting what happens with COVID. I think what may happen is some of these rules will have to be extended into 2022 to make sure that you know employees are protected and employers are creating safe work environments. I don't think there's going to be anything that's going to change. I think what's going to happen is as we see every year at the beginning of 2022, there's going to be 15 to 20 brand new laws <laughs> that will affect employers. The employers will have to comply with those brand new ones, the ones that we just talked about for 2021 the ones for 2020 and all the rest. So it's just going to be more, no changes, more. No changes more. That's, and that's what keeps you in business, I'm sure. And as an employer, I can tell you that uh, these changes always give me a little bit of stress and higher blood pressure. And it's always a pleasure to know that I've got you, uh, it, uh, you you've got my six, right? As an employer, it's good to know that. Thank you, David. Thanks for being with us. It was a great time. Thank you. This has been great, David. This is some great information, much needed for the business community. And for those of you listening, I encourage you to reach out and learn more from David DeCastro at DeCastro and Morrow in Woodland Hills. Now, give us five more minutes, maybe six, and we're gonna take you through some of the highlights for season two. I think you're gonna love it just as much as I do. Thanks. My mom has a, a well-known line, water seeks its own level, okay? And I think it, unfortunately, in the political world that we're in today, that really is true because people don't want to seek anything outside their level. So people will have their echo chambers. I think in business, the back of the card quite often, when you're in a referral-based business like I am, I think that what ends up happening, especially when you talk about provisors, no like, trust, refer, you end up attracting clients that resonate with your value system. Because otherwise, someone's going to make the referral to someone else that they like. It's not so much that I'm the best designer or I have the best SEO or the best pay-per-click management or the best social media. It's not about the service. It's about the feeling that I give to the person who makes the referral that I can not just get the job done, but I'm a good guy to work with. I'm a good guy to give business to. Whatever the intangibles are, I believe it's that back of the card goodwill type stuff that is what closes the deal. And I remember when I had this idea of 
trying to get into uh -huh. composting. You know, I talk to someone there a lot about composting and what do they usually use their compost for and stuff. And at the time they had said that they use a lot of for, like for the rose bushes, like when they winterize and really covering the root ball and everything like that. They were a big proponent of using compost anyway for all their plantings and stuff like that. Once I really got into this and I really researched everything and I really figured out stuff. I did write a paper with the U.S. Green Council building here in St. Louis, and they had these categories and awards for companies that, you know, go green and whatnot and stuff. And there was that one category of, you know, like a zero waste kind of thing. Right. I wrote up Epic Equestrian and, and Mud and Buds. I won that award for that year and stuff. And it was just, it was nice to see that you know, all those hours of researching something and really, you know, again, that trial and error, trial and error and trying to figure this out. I knew that it was like almost at times banging my head against the wall. Like, I know there's a way we could do this and stuff. And then finally figuring out the system and stuff. Mm -hmm. It was just a nice little appreciation. It's just oh, like sure. getting a, you know, winning a, a ribbon at a horse show. Yeah. <laughs> SWAT, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, it's definitely important to give potential buyers full view of the business. So in this case, this large deal, you know, one of the warts, quote unquote, on this business was the fact that all the manufacturing was in China right. and all went through one supplier. So that that's something that if a buyer discovers late in the process, could be a deal breaker, could be a way for them to get the, the price down. That's certainly not something you want to spring on, on a buyer. So I, I highly recommend that's something that's disclosed and disclosed in a way that you know you can defend it. And in this case, the, the sellers could defend it because they had been with other suppliers in other countries. And this supplier just delivered over a 10-year period. And they, they had backup opportunities, but they just continued to purposely work with this one supplier. So yeah, I, I definitely recommend that, you know, the, the, all the strengths and weaknesses are fully presented in, in a, you know, in, in an articulate, intelligent way to the buyer. I ended up back in business school, just out of desperation, trying to get out of being a lawyer. The economy was down, there weren't a lot of jobs, and I wanted to transition into the dessert world. I wasn't sure if I was going to start my own business or try to work at a corporate restaurant group or something like that. I came in, I started taking entrepreneurship classes. That was where the idea took hold because I took this idea that I had from my own experience of not having enough options in chocolate. And I took entrepreneurship 101 where they teach you how to flesh out an idea and figure out if this could be a viable business. But we have come up with some amazing alternatives to how to keep stuff. You don't always need to keep stuff in its original form. I have one client, for instance, whose dad passed away and he had left all of his sweatshirts from high school. He was on a football team. He was very into football and got her into football. So he had all of his sweatshirts from high school, college, being a sports fan, and they were in many, many, many bins. So we took the, the best of the best and we made her a quilt. Oh, that's a good so idea. Now, so now it's not in bins in the garage, which right. is stacked up for no one to wear, see, or use ever again. Right. And it's actually an item that she uses and loves. And it's with her in her living room, over her couch, all the time. You know, we've got bins and bins of, of children's artwork from kindergarten and, and before yeah. and, and after. And they're in bins and bins and bins in the garage. <laughs> 
As you can see, we put a lot into planning season two. I want to thank my guest, David DeCastro, thank our sponsors, Mercury Document Imaging, Fit for the Cause, and the Miller Haga Law Group. This is going to be a great season coming up, and we're looking forward to your participation too. So if you have anybody you'd like us to interview, if you have any stories you want to tell, if you'd like to learn about sponsoring, or if you just want to call us and give us your feedback, let us know. You can reach me at jv at jovopro.com or go to our website, smallbizcast.com. Thanks again. Hot dog. It's a wonderful life.